Welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. Lots of news to talk about this week. Lots of roster news. Surprisingly, on Monday today, UConn picked up a commitment from Dorka Juhas, a grad transfer from Ohio State with two years of eligibility remaining, including the extra year she got from the COVID season. So she just finished up her junior year at Ohio State. A 6'4 forward averaged a double-double last season and is a two-time Big Ten all-first-team selection. So not just a depth pickup or a roster filler. This at least projects to be someone that's going to have almost an immediate impact on this team. And just someone who fits a very interesting profile. I think UConn's going to have a lot of bigs next year with Olivia Nelson-Adota, Aaliyah Edwards, Amari DeBerry, Piath Gabriel, too. They all kind of seem to have a bit of a different style to them. And yeah, it's just, I wasn't really expecting any transfers considering how full their roster is going to be already. They have 14 players with Adamakarat transferring out. As of now, we don't know if anyone's going to transfer. We don't expect anything. So until we hear otherwise, there's 14 players on the roster, a lot of talent up and down that roster too. So this is, one of the more interesting pickups I think that UConn's had in recent years. So what did you think of it when you saw it? Yeah, I was also surprised. I think prior today, when you look at at this roster, there was, there wasn't really any obvious holes in it. There's obviously a whole bunch of talent on it. Um, And I mean, then you pick up, you has and UConn just gets even better than they were already looking for next season. So obviously a huge ad for the program. She's a great player and two time all first team big 10. So a, a really solid player who's been a, a good player for Ohio state. That's been a top team in the country last this past year. So um, it's a big pickup for UConn for sure. Yeah. So UConn loses one European in Anamakarat and replaces the, her with another in Dorka, who is from Hungary was pretty much a solid player for Ohio state for three seasons. She didn't double average a double double her entire time there, but she did as both a sophomore and a junior. She played UConn twice. If you remember, they opened the season in 2018, I believe it was against Ohio state at Gamble. That was her first college game. She only averaged or she only scored six points in that game. And then the next year, UConn traveled to Ohio State. She had eight points and 11 rebounds in that game. So obviously going up against first Nafisa Collier the first time around and then Olivia Nelson-Adota the second time around, pretty tough matchup. So she's been just a very solid player for Ohio State. OSU head coach Kevin McGuff told Buckeye Extra in January that she's a very bright player. It's a quote, Quote, she knows how to play. She tends to make other people around her better because she knows how to execute within the offense and either get a shot for herself or for somebody else. End of quote. That's pretty much, if you were going to describe a stereotypical, or not a stereotypical, a prototypical UConn big and what they want from someone in the post, that's almost it down to a T. They don't want someone who's just pure back to the basket, going to bully their way into score. They want someone that can pass the ball, that can be versatile. She can shoot the three. Her her three-point shooting was kind of weird throughout her career. As a sophomore, she hit almost 40%. And then as a junior, I think it was somewhere down near 20%. So I don't know if maybe there was just less of an emphasis for her to shoot threes as a junior. But I guess the fact of the matter is she can shoot them if they need to. So it's going to be really interesting to see how UConn utilizes her. But at least from what we know now, she does seem to be a very classic UConn post player yeah I would agree with that and I think just you know it makes this front court even more loaded obviously you already have Olivia Nelson Dota and Aaliyah Edwards but now this is another big pickup pickup and a pickup with experience too I think that's a big thing and we talked about it a lot last week how this team was so young and I mean Aaliyah's going to be a sophomore but and Liv will be a senior but now you're adding another player that's got quite a bit of experience under her belt so that's going to be a, a big asset for this team as well right it's always interesting when UConn decides to go to the transfer well, because they haven't done that a whole lot 
over their history. It's happened more recently over the past few years. Obviously, ahead of the 2019 season, they brought in Avina Westbrook. I think that one we can declare a pretty resounding success, even after year one, or I guess year two at this point. Evelyn Adebayo, I think they pretty much just took a flyer on her from a smaller school. Similar, you could see why they liked her because she did everything at Murray State. She passed the ball, she could shoot. I think she just ended up not being capable of playing at this level. Then you go back to the 2016 offseason. They brought in two transfers that year too. Batuli Kamara, who came from Kentucky. I think the knees just really never let her be the player that she could have been. She was just hampered by injuries her entire time at UConn. It's kind of tough to judge that one. Then Azrae Stevens had one pretty solid year. I think she started a little slow, but played pretty well in the tournament and then finished the year strong was one of UConn's better players in the NCAA tournament. Arguably if she played more in that final four game against Notre Dame, they'd probably win it. So even though she was only there playing for one year, pretty resounding success. And then to wrap up the recent transfers, Natalie Butler in 2014, Freshman of the year at Georgetown came, just really never figured it out with UConn, then transferred to George Mason and just absolutely destroyed the A-10. None of the other players that have transferred in really had that much of an impact. Renee Najarian came from South Carolina way back in 1986, was a good player for them, but again, 1986. Rita Williams, kind of a transfer. I think she had academic issues and came in from Mitchell College. Other than that, none of the other transfers throughout the history, Jessica McCormick. I don't think she ever played at UConn. She just ended up going back to New Zealand. Brittany Hunter, Rashidat Sadiq, Christine Rigby, Tahana Aberlich. I know I pronounced that one wrong. Sarah Northway, Orly Grossman. Again, just not a whole lot of success, but this one feels different because as we've mentioned multiple times, twice Big Ten player, not Big Ten player of the year, twice all Big Ten first team, it's one thing to do it once, but it's a high level of play to do that. And the Big Ten isn't the best league, but it's still pretty solid. She's done it for three years. It hasn't just been a flash in the pan. She's done it at a consistent level. I feel like this is one of the safer transfers that they've picked up in the same vein as Avina Westbrook and Azrae Stevens. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think especially this year, the Big Ten was a really solid league. We saw a lot of teams from the Big Ten do pretty well in the, N- the NCAA tournament. And Ohio State had a postseason ban this season, so they, they she didn't play in this NCAA tournament. But they would have been right up there had they been playing. I think they were second or so in the, the final standings of the Big Ten. So um, a, a good team this year, and she was really at the helm of that. So definitely a, a big pickup for UConn. I've been trying to figure this out all day. How does she fit into this roster? Because like you mentioned, it, there's no obvious hole. It wasn't like you kind of really needed a big, it's almost like you wish you could have fast forward or not fast forwarded. But you wish you could have taken this now and applied it to a team maybe two, three years ago where they really didn't have another big besides Nafisa Collier in there. And even Nafisa Collier for as good as she was, she just wasn't that big physical player that, could go up against someone against Baylor or South Carolina. Those programs that normally have the big bigs, the back to the basket bigs, it almost feels like an abundance over an, a surplus that they're bringing in Dorka because Olivia Nelson Adota, I think we have a pretty good idea of who she is as a player at this point. I don't think she's suddenly going to be averaging 15, 16 points a game dominating, getting the ball on every possession and just going to the basket. I think that ship has probably sailed. She's a senior. What we see, there's still room for improvement, obviously, but I don't think it's all of a sudden she's going to turn into an All-American. I just think that would be way too steep of a turnaround from what we've seen over three years of work at this point. And then Aaliyah Edwards. I think Aaliyah Edwards could make an absolutely huge jump this season and maybe not be an All-American type player, which... I mean, I don't want to put any limits on what Aaliyah Edwards can do, but I think she can still have a really, really good year without necessarily being an All-American. Right there, you have two excellent bigs, especially when you consider Amari DeBerry's coming in. I don't really know what to expect out of her, but she's another big body, 6'5". And also P.F. Gabriel's in the mix. I'm not totally expecting a ton out of her as a sophomore, but still, you have four 
big players, post players, you're adding another one in there. On paper, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'd really, really love to hear Gino's thoughts on this, whether it was just an opportunistic thing where it was a good player that they just felt that they needed to get because there was an opportunity or if they're projecting that someone isn't going to necessarily have the role that they have this year or is going to take a step back or whatever it might be. I just can't really figure it out in my head. How do you see it all coming together in the front court? Yeah, I think a big piece of it is going to be kind of what kind of development there is from Olia and Olivia Nelson Adota in in the offseason. I think that's going to play a big role in it, especially Olivia Nelson Adota's development. Like you've said, we've kind of seen what we've gotten from her and she hasn't necessarily been that dominant player inside. So of course there's obviously room for her to improve and things could change over the offseason, but um, I feel like this gives you kind of another option though, if she doesn't make those leaps and, you know, we've seen her in these games against Baylor or even against Arizona and where she kind of just, there's a little bit of a challenge in the front court and she struggles with it. They've got another option to put in there and really, uh, you know, have a more dominant force inside the paint. I also think we've seen in the last few seasons, like with UConn's front court, and it's probably just because it's been slim, but there's been a lot of issues with foul trouble. I think we saw that in the Baylor game with Edwards and, Nelson and Dota too. So now you've got three options. I think that's huge for this team. Even if someone gets into pretty severe foul trouble, you're not necessarily having to give up size on the court. Where in like against Baylor, when you know Nelson and Dota or Edwards had to be on the bench, you had to give up size and put Aubrey Griffin in. Now you've got another really solid option to put in in the front court. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, it just makes this team so much deeper and better in that position. But I think it's really hard to try to decipher how the lineup ends up shaking up. Right. Well, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that UConn's two losses were Olivia Nelson Adota's two worst games of the season. And even going back to the start of her sophomore year, when Gino declared her the most important player on the team, simply because they didn't have anyone else, that's a lot of responsibility to put on a player. And I think, I don't know if it's fair or not that Nelson Adota's entire season is probably going to be judged off the Arizona game. Oh, UConn officially announced Durka. She originally announced it only on our Twitter, but now it's official. She's signed her letter of intent. Very interesting quote from Gino. Maybe I'm looking too far into this, but he says, quote, we're excited to have Dorka join our program. She's a high skill level and the potential to fill a need on our team. She was very interested in playing at UConn. I'm looking forward to starting with her in June. Now, obviously, it's not very surprising that she was very interested in playing at UConn. I think at least 75% of college basketball players would probably be interested in playing at UConn, but considering what we talked about just right before this came out on, we don't really know how she fits into this team and there doesn't necessarily seem to be any gaping holes. The fact that Gino says she has the potential to fulfill a need on our team Am I looking too far into that and just making something out of the very small crumb that we got from Gino or does it feel like he's saying something with that? <laughs> I mean, I think you might be just trying to make something out of not very much that we're getting here. Okay, I don't, I don't know that it necessarily means anything other than that. She's obviously a good player and can play a role on this team. Um, I mean, something could happen in the next few days. Who knows what's going to happen, but I, I, I feel like you're jumping to conclusions a little bit. <laughs> What is the point of having a a release come across our emails in the middle of recording with a quote from Gino if we are not going to dissect every single <laughs> word and look into it way too deeply? A couple other notes that we got from the release, just confirming things that she graduated from Ohio State this year, so she's going to be eligible to play immediately. Probably should have mentioned that earlier. She's going to have two years of eligibility remaining One of those is going to be the extra year she got for COVID. I'm interested if she uses both those years. I imagine she will if she's transferring, but it's just another kind of question mark that I feel like probably only she can answer. Has a degree in psychology, so I imagine she's going to be going to grad school with UConn. A few other interesting notes that we got here. She was played in the 2017 FIBA U19 World Basketball women's basketball world cup with Hungary. She was the number 12 ranked international player in the class of 2018. 
and she has the potential to fulfill a need on our team. No, I'm going to look way too far into that. I, I just, <laughs> I, I can look at that no other way and just think that it's some stock quote. I feel like Gino use is too careful with his words to not have that be just a stock quote. So what need could that possibly be? Is it just the need, as you mentioned, of having an extra big and having more depth in the front court? Or is it a need of a consistent scoring option in the post? Is it a need to have an inside out big? Because I think Olivia Nelson Adota can shoot the ball from the outside. She hasn't necessarily ever done it with consistency. Maybe that'll change next year. Or does it just give them a veteran presence in the post? What is this need that Gino feels they needed to fulfill? I don't know. I feel like it could be like just the need to have a big that is showed up and played in those big games, right? Like everything with Olivia is like, she's been so great in these games where she doesn't have any real competition, but then when you put her against players like players at Baylor are really strong bigs. She really struggles where I think with Dorka, if you go look at her stats at Ohio state and she's played against the, you know, the Iowa's or the Indiana's or the Michigan's where there's, you know, these really solid post players, she's been able to put up bigger numbers. So I think that's definitely a positive sign and maybe something UConn doesn't have right now. I feel like they're maybe getting there with Aaliyah Edwards, but she's just a freshman. So, you know, Dorka obviously has some more experience getting there. So I feel like if that's, that could be the hole that you're looking at there is trying to find someone that's going to be consistent against kind of the bigger opponents that UConn's going to face. Maybe it's the need to bludgeon everyone by 45 points <laughs> every single game because it's been what, three, four seasons since UConn's done that on a consistent basis and Gino's sick of losing in the final four. So anyone that he can get his hands on, he's going to put on this team and just create his ultimate juggernaut, basically 2016 all over again. Maybe, like maybe he's just sick of losing and is going to do whatever he has to do this off season to win a national championship next year because you've already got a really strong base. So you bring in Dorka and she's maybe not even everything you imagined, half of what you imagined. There's no holes in UConn's front court. They have a rock solid backcourt. They have some very interesting in-between players. I'm not going to right now say they're going to win the national championship next year, although they probably will. But once we get into the early part of next season and see what she looks like, see what some of the freshmen look like, I think it's maybe going to be two, three games to see if this is going to be just a good UConn team or if it's going to be an all-time UConn team. Because I think this team absolutely has the potential to not only win the national championship, not only win the national championship undefeated, but to be one of the best teams in program history if everything goes right, which is a very, very large if. And adding Dorka just further underlines that. Yeah, exactly. I think... You know, even before adding Dorka, it's still a big if because everything has to go the right way. But this team was looking really well suited to be winning a national championship, to be, you know, the best team in the country. And I think now they just make it even, you know, the roster even better. So it, it's kind of hard not to get excited about next March already, even though we, we just finished this March. But there's a lot of good pieces and we'll, it'll take a few games to see where everyone really is at and kind of the the movements that players make in the off season. But if we get anything close to like the typical off season development that you get at UConn from this year's freshman class, and then everything that's coming in now adding Dorka and, you know, the juniors and the sophomores, and it's, it's going to be a really solid team. I think I've actually convinced myself that he actually doesn't have any ulterior motives with that quote, <laughs> but it's just, look, he's how old is Gino? Is he 65? He's somewhere around them. Is he 67? Actually, I think 67 is my official guess. 67. There we go. He's 67. I don't think it's a secret that he's not going to be coaching forever. And even these last few seasons have shown that it's not necessarily a guarantee that he's always going to be available on the sideline, whether this year it was him getting COVID, which I feel like is a more unique situation, but he's missed time at least from what I can remember now three seasons in a row this year, last year, he had that surgery to alleviate diverticulitis. I never know if I'm pronouncing that right. The year before he got that, he missed a road trip because he got sick. 
wasn't it after one of the national championships that he got home and had to be hospitalized for something. So obviously he's still uh, doing well, but there are the health issues there. I think he's going to coach for as long as he can, but I think with anyone, as they start getting up there, you never know how long you can actually do something. Even athletes, as we saw with Morgan Tuck, she didn't know how long she was going to have with her career. So, you know, there's a finite date to it. And now that Gino's gone five years without winning a national championship, which is tied for his longest drought ever since winning in 1995, I think it just could be that, all right, I'm done losing in the final four. I'm done having teams that have a chance of losing. I'm just going to get as much talent as I can on this team and make UConn bad for basketball again. I feel like that's a fair point. Also, just the fact that it, the longest he's gone without winning a national championship in all his years is five years. It's kind of insane. Um, but right. yeah, I mean, this team is going to be stacked. So he's definitely all in on the them winning a, a national championship and getting back to that this season. Right. It's actually kind of interesting if you look at the various droughts that they've had, which is weird to say, but the one immediately after 1995, they get to the final four in 1996, which always surprises me when I see that because you lose a player as big as Rebecca Lobo, and then you get that close once again. And then they don't make the final four for the next, I think it was four years after that. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he mentioned something along the lines a few years ago of, they just seem to be snake bit in those years where they would get down to the end stretch of the season and a key player would get hurt and they would suddenly go from being the favorite to win the national championship. All of a sudden they don't have their best player and they get bounced in the elite eight or something. It felt like that was happening to them every year. And then they finally break through in 2000. And I don't know if you can call them not winning that championship in 2001, a drought. And that was just also injury related. So I guess that kind of carries over from that nineties luck, but then you get, into the post Diana Taurasi years. And those were just a matter of not having enough talent. I think in general, that was probably a bit of a talent drought in women's college basketball. If you look at who some of the all Americans were those years, none of those players, very few of those players really ever did anything of note in the WNBA or professionally. Nobody really talks about a lot of those players a lot. And then you get to the years right after Maya Moore Again, those teams were talented, but they just didn't have the player that could put them over the top until Brianna Stewart got there. And then this drought's kind of weird because I don't really think it fits into any of those clean categories, whether it was injuries with that first one, a lack of talent with the second one and the third one, kind of. Those teams, the two years after Stewie left and then left, they absolutely could have won the national championship and just played poorly in a big spot but I don't really know how much better you could have constructed those rosters to have helped UConn over the top. It wasn't a talent issue. It wasn't an ability issue. They just couldn't go out there and execute what they needed to do to win. And then I think these last few years have probably been more of a talent issue where in the second Notre Dame final four loss, they just couldn't make a basket. They didn't really have anyone besides those starting five, those maybe one player off the bench. And then Last year's team, meaning the year that got ended early by COVID, because I guess now this past season is last year. But that team definitely was not talented at all in any regard. And then this year, I think it was just a combination. I don't know if it was necessarily talent, but just inexperience. So it's interesting how this is the one drought that doesn't necessarily fit into a clean category. But as Gino says a lot, Generally, things need to go right for you to win a national championship, and you need to get lucky unless you just have an overwhelming talent advantage. And I think that's just his plan. All right. Well, clearly something's not working right. Clearly, I apparently don't have the coaching touch. That's sarcasm. (laughs) I'm just going to bludgeon everyone, win every single game by 50, and it doesn't matter if my team doesn't play well because that's just going to be the difference between a 50-point win and a 25-point win. So, yeah, if everything goes right for this team – no one's going to get very close to them. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think they just have such a stack of talent and there are going to be a couple other really talented teams around the country, but I don't think anyone else's roster looks quite this good. So it, it's going to be, I think, assuming things go right and you know, we've still got a, many weeks until June, but um, 
things kind of stay as they are and there's no major injuries or anything like that. This team is going to be very, very, very good. Right. And a lot of other teams have a lot of talent, but the deciding factor between UConn and those other teams is first Paige Beckers, because as we saw with all the awards she won, she's the best player in the country. I think anyone who's objective and unbiased will tell you that she's the best player in the country as all those voters, as probably 95% of the people that voted on all her awards were unbiased. She's the best player in the country. You have another generational talent coming in in AZ FUD. How good she's going to be as a freshman is still up for debate. And then also someone like Kristen Williams. I have been so high on Kristen Williams' potential. If she can actually put it all together for her senior season, I honestly believe that she could challenge Paige Beckers for a National Player of the Year award or two. So Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, okay. I was just going to say, so that to me is the deciding factor is you can have a lot of talent, but when you have one player who is just so much better than everyone else on the court, like Paige Beckers is, that is just a huge bonus. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, when you look at the postseason and how good Kristen Williams was this postseason, outside of that Arizona game where really everyone just struggled, you had, I think, Kristen Williams and Paige Beckers both playing at a very elite level. So if they can bring that to the floor every game next season, it's going to be really hard for any team to beat them because you have those two playing at, I mean, Paige is already playing at a national player of the year level. Kristen, who's capable of playing at that level, and then all these other really, really solid pieces around them, it's it's going to be really tough for any team to touch them. Right. Basically, every single player in the rotation who gets, let's just say, 10 minutes per game or more would be starting at maybe 95% of teams in the country. There's probably like the South Carolinas and Stanfords are the only ones that would have a talent level high enough to say that like Aliyah Edwards probably isn't going to start next year, which is absurd there. She averaged over 10 points per game today. We thought earlier that we were going to be doing a season review podcast today and we're pushing that to next week. But I went back and looked at the freshmen over the last 15 years who have scored over 15 points per game or 10 points per game as a freshman. This is an elite list of players going Reverse chronological order. It's Kristen Williams, Katie Lou Samuelson, Kia Nurse, Brianna Stewart, Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, Bria Hartley, Steph Dolson, Maya Moore, and Tina Charles. Every single one of those players, except Kia Nurse, ended up being an All-American. So I think you can pretty comfortably... And Kia Nurse, I think injuries and a few other factors prevented her from being an All-American. But I, if you're listening to this podcast, I imagine we don't need to explain to you how good Kia Nurse was. So that is very elite company to be in. She's not even going to start next year. I don't see a path to her starting, especially with Dorka on the roster. So the fact that you have someone like that coming off the bench, and then either you have someone like Nika or AZ coming off the bench, along with Caroline, Amari, Aubrey Griffin, Mir McLean, whatever they look like next season, those are still very talented players to be coming off the bench and getting who knows how many minutes. So yeah, it's just such an abundance of talent and it's going to be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. I feel like at the beginning of the season, we talked so much about how much depth they had, but we didn't really see, you know, a deep rotation. I feel like that's something that might actually change next season. When you look at this roster, there actually is so much depth and players that should probably see time on the floor. And I think we're going to see probably a deeper rotation from UConn, which is going to be really interesting to kind of see how it shakes out and who who works their way into that, you know, kind of rotation and who does spend a lot of the time on the bench. But just the amount of pieces on this roster is kind of insane when you look at it. Right. And there is an article by Mike Anthony in the Connecticut Post today where he talked with Gino after the season. And Gino had a really interesting comment along the lines of people always think that coaches – decide playing time and it's not coaches wish that they could play everyone coaches want to play everyone that's going to make an impact so why would they not want to play someone that would make an impact and he feels the last few years he didn't specify what the time frame was but I imagine probably going back to like 2016 
they've had a roster that they need players to play well on certain nights to win national championships. And he wants to get it back to the point where it's, they have all these players that they know can do certain things. And then they can pick and choose which players they use during a game to accomplish those things. So maybe if you're playing, let's just throw out a random Big East team, Creighton, a team who maybe doesn't have that much size. You can put, Aaliyah and Olivia and Dorka out there, two of them on the floor the entire time and just feed the ball into them. And Creighton's going to have a really tough time stopping them. But then you go up against someone like, let's say Baylor, who's going to have some more size down low. Maybe you still have two of them in there, but you can rotate your guards and kind of get more shooters in or something like that. But I think Gino's going to have a lot of fun this year, figuring out those rotations, finding what players can be successful and, just having a rotation that's a living, breathing thing, not just as we think of a rotation being this player is going to get 15 minutes this game and every game because she's the seventh best player on the roster. I think it could absolutely be a year where someone one game gets, let's just say 15 points, plays 35 minutes. And then the next game, they only get five points because they only played 15 minutes. I think we could see for a lot of that, middle class of the roster behind the five starters and the key players and above the end of the bench, their minutes not necessarily being consistent and instead fluctuating a lot throughout the year. And I think that would probably be the sign of a very healthy roster. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I think that's a really good sign for UConn and that you're obviously, you're going to have your, you know, your page Beckers and your Kristen Williams that are going to be the kind of staple of this team. But when you have all these other different pieces that you can mix and match night in and night out, and you're going to get big contribution from any of them, but you can play them in a way that makes the most sense, depending on the type of opponent you're facing. It's a really good spot for you kind of be in. It's a lot of depth, a lot of ways for players to contribute in the ways that they're going to excel the most. So it's going to be a really strong UConn roster. Right. And I think it's not only well-constructed this season, But for the first time in a while, they seem to have a very good balance going forward where there's really no loss, at least you go three years into the future, that you say, oh man, I really don't know how they're going to replace that player. Because assuming Dorka uses both years that she has left, which feels like a rather safe assumption, after next year, they're going to lose Olivia Nelson, Adota, Avina Westbrook, and Kristen Williams. So you lose Olivia and you already have Dorka replacing her or helping to replace her. And instead of having just Aaliyah and needing Amari to maybe make a big step as a sophomore or Piath to finally emerge as a junior or Azuna Brady to contribute as a freshman, having Dorka there kind of pushes everyone down one spot and just gives them so much more stability at the post. And then, yeah, you lose Avina Westbrook and Kristen Williams and, it's hard to quantify Avina Westbrook's leadership in terms of production or anything. So that's going to be a tough void to fill in that regard. But when you look at just what they do on the basketball court, Paige is going to be another year better. I mean, what is she going to look like as a junior? That's terrifying. Nika's probably going to be a much better player by that point. We saw that she can score. She just hasn't done it on a consistent basis. You have to imagine that AZ is going to be a much better player as a sophomore. Ducharm, even Sailor. And then you're also adding an Ayanna Patterson and the year after you lose Aubrey Griffin, but Mir McLean is a very similar player to Aubrey Griffin and Ayanna Patterson kind of fits that same mold of a very athletic wing. And then you get to that Paige Becker's Aaliyah Edwards, the current freshman rising sophomore class. That one's probably going to be a little tougher to replace just because of how good they've already been this year. And we don't know what that incoming freshman class is going to be yet, but at least for a few years, you have a pretty sustainable machine where it's not necessarily going to be, all right, we really need this, this, this to go right, to continue to be a really good team as it's been in the post-Stewie era. It's pretty much just, all right, we lose this player, but it's the next one up. And based on everything we know about UConn's progression history throughout 35 years of Geno's coaching, it looks like these players are going to make their progression. So it's just very sustainable right now and is going to help them stay on top for a long time. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we're 
probably going to see the end of that final four streak for quite a bit of time, which is really insane to think about. I mean, it's already been, what, 13 years? So now you're looking at, what, 15, 16? This is insane to think about, but um, it's this roster, like, as you look ahead, there's there's really not any obvious holes for a while, and that, that's a really good sign. I don't think you could say that necessarily in the last few years, so it's definitely a, a good sign for UConn. Well, I make the scholarship grid, if you've ever seen it. I've tweeted it or put it in stories. And I remember when Paige Beckers committed, it was maybe half full, if that. They pretty much every single year needed to get bodies in just to get to 10 players on the roster. And for the next three seasons, they're going to have at least 10 players on the roster, again, with the assumption that nobody leaves, nobody transfers. And that's not even including any more possible additions to the class of 2022, which we don't know about at this moment. And they haven't even gotten a single 2023 commitment either. So there's not only the high level of talent, but there's a lot of depth. And that's something that just wasn't there. When did Paige commit? She committed before the 2019 final four. So that's literally just two years ago in two years it's almost been a complete overhaul. I don't know if overhaul is the right word because it's not like they've shipped out a ton, but they've just completely revamped and have built this program up to a point where it hasn't even dipped. That's the crazy part is even though they didn't have a whole lot of spots in that scholarship grid, they haven't missed a final four in that time. And okay, they probably would have missed it last year, but you talk about 14 years where they only would have missed the final four once and now they're only going to be better or projected to be better going forward. It's really just incredible to think about. Yeah, it really is insane. And then of course, you've add, also added, you've got Paige Beckers, the generational talent, and AZ Fun is the <laughs> generational talent. So you could talk about all of this and have no generational talents, and it would still be so impressive. But then you add that factor in too. It's just really insane what this roster looks like. I don't want to make comparisons because we know they've already thrown things way out of proportion in terms of expectations, but it does kind of feel similar to those Brianna Stewart years where Gino and his staff were just on a roll in the recruiting trail. And you look at those teams and obviously Stewie was the centerpiece along with Mariah and Morgan in our class, but those teams had Kalina Mosqueda Lewis, Steph Dolson, Bria Hartley, Kia Stokes, Kia Nurse, Gabby Williams, Nafisa Collier, Katie Lou Samuelson. There were so many supporting players that were really, really good on those teams. It wasn't just Stewie carrying the load, unlike Diana Taurasi back in her junior and senior seasons. So it's, yeah, it's obviously very good to have those generational talents. I mean, we already know Paige is one. AZ is supposed to be one too. So the fact that you could have two on top of everything else, it's, it's basically, I know there's no salary cap in college, but it's like if you're playing like 2K or Madden or something and you turn salary cap off so that you can just sign all the best players and have a juggernaut team, it's more or less like that except in real life and we're going to see real life results from it. So don't mean to set expectations too high, but just the future does look very, very bright. Yeah, like is it November yet? <laughs> <laughs> see, part of... Part of me is like, wow, we have so long to wait to see this team next year. And it's going to be a really interesting team. I think a lot of times you can go into a year where they're projected to be runaway favorites. And it's kind of a boring year just in the sense that there's not many interesting storylines besides uh, UConn won by a lot. Nafisa Collier scored 20 points again. She had another double-double. Katie Lou Samuelson scored 20 points again. I don't necessarily think it's going to be like that, where it's just the same thing every night. I feel like this team is going to beat its opponents in a lot of different ways, and it's going to be a lot of different people doing different things, different players stepping up at different times to get wins. So I'm really excited to see how it all unfolds, although I will say I am looking forward to not being in midseason mode and having a little bit of time until November, enjoying the summer a little bit. Yeah, definitely not trying to wish the summer away, especially now that we're going to be vaccinated and all. But yeah, it's definitely exciting to look forward to what this team is going to look like when we do get to November. This obviously isn't going to happen, but it would be so great if this was one of those teams that took a European tour and played 
exhibition games that got streamed like they did. I think it was ahead of the 2017, 18 season. I, I don't know why, but I would just love to see what PF looks like in a game for like 25 minutes, throw her out there against like an exhibition team, uh, lower level European team. I just want to see what she looks like in extended action. Same with Mir, same with all of these freshmen, because it's so hard to get any grasp of how good they are in these short two, three minute windows when they come in at the end of the game, when it's a bunch of other players who are trying to prove themselves. So plug them in with Piath playing next to Aaliyah Edwards or Olivia Nelson, Adota, or have Paige Beckers and Sailor out on the court together. It, it won't happen, but hopefully at least exhibitions come back this year because exhibitions do get to show you a lot, especially because we didn't have that this year. And I feel like we definitely lost a lot by not having those once we went into that first game of the season against UMass Lowell. Yeah, exactly. You didn't get those couple of games where they just have a chance to play with the lineup and you see more of the, the end of the bench. Um, so I, I agree. It'll be exciting to at least hopefully have those back and, it's unfortunate that there won't be like a, a European tour or like things like USA basketball for like U19 and U20 and stuff like that, that sometimes gets a chance for you to see some of these younger players that not, won't necessarily get a ton of minutes at UConn play in, in a different scenario. Disappointing. Wow. No, I actually do want it to be November now. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously a very stacked roster. The only one that they're losing, as we talked about last episode, is Anna Makarat. Initially, it came out that she was going to transfer. She was going to look somewhere else to play. There is some speculation that maybe she would go play with her sister, who was also in the transfer portal. But today, she announced on Instagram that she's going to go pursue a professional career in Europe, which I think makes a lot of sense. That was a path that she could have taken, I guess, high school. I don't really know what the equivalent is in Europe, but she could have taken that path instead of going to UConn. Decided to come here. I think it makes sense because it's something she's experienced with. That was the level that she was playing at before she came to UConn and she just wasn't getting paid for it. So now she's going to get paid and she's going to be closer to home. And I imagine it was probably a very tough year. She even admitted that it was a very tough year physically, mentally, and emotionally. So even if she's not necessarily playing in Poland or she's a still a few hours away from home, it's a lot cheaper and easier to travel around Europe to get back to home, see the family for a few days. than it is trying to get across the Atlantic, even in normal times. So I understand it and it'll be exciting to see what she does going forward. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it makes a lot of sense, especially given the year that it's had and the fact that she obviously hasn't been able to be home to see her family at all. Um, so excited for her. I think it's definitely you know, where she was playing before, she'll get to make money, play professionally. I think it moves up her timeline too for when she can kind of go to the WNBA draft should she decide she wants to go try to make it at that level. So I'll be excited to see where the kind of all answer. I still am a big Anamakarat person. And I think she, I don't think it's a hot take to say she could play in the WNBA. She had a really good freshman year. And I think we just really didn't see what she could do this year. I'm really curious how long that stress fracture was bothering her. Was that an issue at the beginning of the season and it affected her shooting? And even still, she didn't really play a ton before she got that injury. So I'm curious how much that affected her, but she's a really good player just because she didn't have a great sophomore year. She's still a really good player and she's not leaving because she's not good enough for this level. She's leaving just because as we mentioned, they have just a glut of talent. So I think she could absolutely go over to Europe, tear it up and at the very least get some looks from the WNBA. I don't know. I'm not an expert on if she's good enough to play at that level, but I think that it's possible at the very least. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think if she goes back and, you know, she has a really solid pro season in Europe, she's definitely at least going to turn some heads of the GMs, maybe get picked in a second, third round, make some training camps, have a chance to try to play her way into the league, if not something better. Right. And it's got to be nice to know you have that fallback of knowing what it's like to play in Europe, because I imagine for an American player, even someone who plays in the WBA, 
the WNBA to go over to Europe in the off season, that's gotta be a pretty big culture shock. So she's already used to it. She's already used to playing in that type of leagues. So it seems like a good fit and probably in all likelihood, the best choice for continuing her basketball career. Exactly. Agreed. So while UConn may not lose any other players to either the transfer market or the pros, as of now, they could still have a pretty significant loss. Today, Howard Begdahl of The Next reported that, quote, multiple sources are connecting Shea Ralph with the Vandy women's basketball job. Adding this as a postscript, we recorded originally on Monday night, but on Tuesday morning, Vanderbilt officially announced Shea Ralph as head coach. So our discussion is about her potentially leaving, but it all applies for her now actually leaving. She's been at UConn 13 years. She was at Pitt as an assistant for five years before that. Never been a head coach in her career. I have no inside information. This is just me speculating, but she would be my pick if Gino retired today for who would take over as the new head coach. She just seems like a logical fit. As far as I know, hasn't been connected to any other head coaching job. So it's interesting. And Vandy in general is a pretty interesting choice. It doesn't really seem like a natural fit for her, but she is at least from the North Carolina area. So it's not like it's completely unfamiliar territory. Not that North Carolina and Tennessee are the same. It's interesting to see her name at least come up in the coaching carousel. Yeah. I don't think it's something we've seen before, at least not that I can remember. Like you said, she's been at UConn for so long without kind of that coming up. So it's definitely interesting. I would agree with your take that, you know, if Gina was going to retire tomorrow, that she'd probably be one of the first names that I would think of before that was going to take that role. But I mean, maybe it's a good thing if that is kind of the eventual succession plan, if she was to go get some head coaching experience, obviously it's going to be, if she does end up taking this job or a different job, it's going to be a huge loss for the program now, but maybe it would be good for her to have a couple of years of head coaching experience under her belt. Right. I was actually just talking about this with someone, I think it was on Thursday they were asking me who I thought could possibly be Gino's replacement when he eventually retires. And I said, Shay, and they were like, well, she doesn't have any head coaching experience, but yeah, maybe this is something that Gino's kind of, I, again, just completely speculating here, but maybe this is something that Gino's pushing her towards saying, all right, I think I have four or five years left, go somewhere, get some experience being a head coach, understand what it's like, figure out how to do things on your own, know what works. Don't do it under these massive expectations where if you don't immediately win a national championship, you're going to be a failure and the fan base is going to turn. That would be a very valuable experience for her to go somewhere else and then come back to UConn. I think the question, if that happens, is if she would want to come back to UConn, because it's one thing to say, okay, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That's my plan. But when you get there and you start building your program and it's your own thing and it has your stamp on it and you don't have this big giant kind of not even like looking over your shoulder. Cause I don't think that Gino would be hands-on after he retires, but you still have that aura, that presence, those expectations there the pressure would be so much lower, infinitely lower. I don't even think you can quantify how much lower it would be at Vanderbilt for her to try and build a program and make her mistakes as a head coach and figure out who she is in charge. So yeah, it makes sense in that regard. And it'll be interesting to see how it develops because obviously this is still only a very, it still feels like it's very early in the process, but it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe nothing will come from it, but it, it is interesting. And in the, the perspective too of, you know, does she come back once you're there? Because like you said, you don't have all the pressure. And then also it's a chance for her to build something from her own when you're at UConn, you know, you're, it's going to all be about like continuing what, you know, and Chris Daly built. And I think you've kind of seen that with like the way things have been at, you know, Tennessee since Pat Summit stopped co- coaching there it's all about, you know, kind of building on that. Whereas it's school like Vanderbilt that doesn't have a ton of history. She kind of has an opportunity to, to make her own name for it. So Shay Ralph appears to be considered at least according to Howard's reporting, the Tennessean 
has a list of potential candidates to replace Stephanie White at Vanderbilt. The first name on that list is Carla Berube, which does make sense because Vanderbilt is obviously a tough academic school. Berube's shown that she can, that she works well at those type of schools, having built a powerhouse at Tufts. And then she's also been very successful at Princeton as well. She's only coached one season there, but only lost one game. Having Bella O'Leary did help, but still. So two UConn names in the mix at Vanderbilt. The article, interesting enough, does mention that if Shea Ralph doesn't appear to be the heir apparent to Gino, Baruby could get strong consideration from UConn. That actually, that might actually make more sense than Shea Ralph. I know Shea Ralph has been there for a long time and kind of seems to be the obvious choice, but Carla Baruby's proven that she can win in college. She's proven that she can handle, I, I know the expectations and pressure at division three toughs aren't the same as what it would be like at UConn, but we know that Carla Berube knows what it takes to be a head coach. And we obviously don't know that about Shea Ralph at the moment. I am very pro Shea Ralph though. So I think she could do it, but just interesting to have two UConn names in the mix down there. Yeah, definitely. Especially because it's a SEC school, SEC school, not any like logical UConn ties there. So interesting that there's two names in the mix. I'm, I'm just interested to see kind of how it shakes out and, if Sheryl doesn't take that one, if she's in the mix or other coaching jobs that are going to become available as well. Speaking of coaching, I don't think we mentioned this last show, but Marissa Mosley, former UConn assistant, took the head coaching job at her alma mater at BU. Now the head coach at Wisconsin out in the Midwest. So that's a pretty big step up for her. And on her coaching staff, Carolyn Doty. Doty played under Mosley when she was at UConn. She's been an account manager at Nike for, I think, the WNBA and NBA. This is going to be her first coaching job, but interesting to see another UConn player get into the mix. Definitely. It'll be interesting to see how they, what they're able to do at Wisconsin in the Big Ten, right? Big Ten. Yeah. Yeah. In the Big Ten and, you know, kind of definitely a step up from BU. And I'm um, interested to see how that all shakes up. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Next week, assuming no other news happens, we'll have our end of the season review, hand out some awards. The week after that, we're aiming to do a Q&A. And then possibly, depending on how things go, moving back into every two weeks for the podcast. But other than that, you can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Conley. Be sure to subscribe to the show, rate and review it tell a friend also subscribe to the yukon women's basketball weekly read the yukon blog in store central megan send us out um, if you're excited as we are for this team and for november make sure you wear your mask get your shots get us ready to be back in gamble